I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. First of all, happy almost new year and thanks so much for sticking with the pod this year. We do so much wildly varied stuff on the show. I know we have a lot of loyal listeners who roll with all of it and I really appreciate that. Today, I'm bringing you an interview I recently did with one of the greatest singers ever, Shaka Khan. We talked right after her long-deserved induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we also ran some of this interview in the print magazine's Last Word column, where we ask artists for some life wisdom and have them look back at highlights and hidden corners of their careers. We talked about her days in the band Rufus and why she brought guitarist Tony Maiden from that band on stage during her Hall of Fame speech, her work with Prince, how her vocals got deleted from Robert Palmer's Addicted to Love, why she loves Joni Mitchell and Led Zeppelin, and a whole lot more. Let's jump right into that conversation. Congratulations on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. Thank you. It took way too long, but I didn't get any sense of annoyance from you about that. I'm happy to hear that. Some people, yes, I just trust my heart in a minute. I don't write down notes and stuff when it comes communication like that. I think it's better. It's funny. In addition to some people get mad when they're justifiably when it's been way too long. And other people I've seen it so many times, but people use that speech as a chance to settle scores. <laughs> some of them. But you did the exact opposite. Uh, you brought up Tony and you made it clear how grateful you were to Rufus. It, it says a, a lot about you, honestly. I don't even remember making the speech. OK. <laughs> crazy week. Yeah, I can see where that people would do that holding grudges and stuff. But I don't hold on to stuff. I'm really a next person. I'm I'm living in the moment. Have you always been that person or was that something you had to learn over the years? I just don't ever think I ever I can't ever imagine myself as a kid or as a teenager because I don't recall my thoughts and stuff then. But I don't think that I ever have been a grudgy person or a grudge holder or, or fetching, remembering the past very well. I'm really good at moving on. You've talked about retiring from the road and you said you don't want it, to. It's funny. There, there's two different attitudes. There's the people. Keith Richards literally told me he, that he'd like to die on stage. But it sounds like you're no, not on that. No. I like some people. That's all they have. I got this rich ass life. I've got great grandchildren. Wow. That I want to get to know better. Real special kids. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's what we're talking from a whole other state. I'm, you know, I'm in Georgia. I bought all this land. I fenced myself in. And I, I say I will not do another tour. Let's just say it won't look like a tour. You know what I'm saying? And it won't act like a tour. I'll do dates, but they'll be far enough apart where I can have time to sleep in between. And, uh, and not so many dates. I did this past year. I might have done maybe seven to ten dates. It's that. And it felt fine to me. It worked. I'm, I'm just uh, going to go out like like I did when I was with Rufus or when I was in my earlier years in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that anymore because the road will kill you. Yeah, literally, in, in some cases, yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, you said in the, in the beginning of your book that, and this and this was like 20 years ago, that mm -hmm. you weren't sure why didn't why you didn't go the way of all the 27 club and all the people who we lost so young and you and at the time you weren't sure what it was given given more time have you figured out yet what it was that's kept you that kept you with us no no it's a mystery i could have easily been a casualty but where i was at a couple times in my life just by the grace of god i hear 
Yes. I did one of Prince's last big interviews and it was just about maybe a year before his passing and he, you were on his mind. He he was talking about you and how much he always did over the years, but how much he loved and respected your artistry. So I don't know if you knew well, that, but he, he was thinking about you. Same way about each other. <laughs> yeah. Today. Yes. Yes. He was a, 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 an amazing artist, a true gift. And he is sorely missed. Like you, I also, I was staring at him right in the face. I didn't have the slightest sense that anything was going on. No, it's crazy. When I could consider myself a, an expert, then I still didn't get it. Right. So he, he was very adept at, at being private, at maintaining his privacy. That was like number one on his list of things to do. And I think that a lot of people go there. They just do it in different ways. Some are better at it than others. But um, he was an absolute genius at it. I don't know if you love it, but I love the song Sticky Wicked. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> it's a good song. It's the only song I ever rapped on, I think. I was like, if I were Shaka, would I love that song? Because it doesn't fully show off my vocal abilities, but it's still such a fun song. And what an amazing moment with Prince and Miles Davis. Yeah, but that song is actually, it's got a lot of depth. It talks about heroin and addiction. Mm. That's what that, that song is about. So it's a very serious song. And that is what attracted me to it. Yeah. You know, just working with Miles and Prince on something was two of my best friends. I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. Great thing to do. I don't, I really don't even remember recording it. Listen, I have so many songs. I look at my list of stuff that I've been singing. It looks like I've only been singing and that's it. I've told me so much stuff I that. How could I remember all that shit? I'd be a, a genius of another kind. But I'm telling you, I marvel myself at the at my bulk of work, even over a 50 year period. It's still a lot. When I have time to make two kids, when did I have time to, you know, go to the bathroom? It's crazy. <laughs> and then there's the lost stuff. I, I'll never get over the fact that Addicted to Love was supposed to be a duet yeah. with you. And that they wipe that and that we've never heard that. That's absolutely yeah. disgusting to me, honestly. It is, it is disgusting. It, and that's one of the things that I did go through a period because of Addicted to Love where I was, I felt very, I was very hurt. And, and I marveled at how something so pure and simple and beautiful could be just wiped off the face of the earth because of money. Yeah. Did because of somebody else's thoughts or feelings or something that was crazy. We were on the, we were with the same label. It would have been a win-win situation for everybody. And it was great. The, the duet was fabulous. And yeah, it would have been an amazing uh, thing. It was his idea. He grabbed me in this and said, come on, let's do this. We had a great idea. And obviously not for everybody. But the fact that music can be torn apart and all art and all things of beauty, a lot of things of beauty on this planet, can it just by the dark forces, can be just thrown in the trash and hidden from us and stolen is our birthright as human beings. Did Palmer himself ever apologize to you, explain to oh, you? Very apologetic. He didn't even know yeah. how to talk to family. Yeah. No, he didn't get it either. He was bewildered, as was I. You know, my understanding is it, it seemed it, it was like a flat out racist decision, right? They thought that exactly. it would somehow make it less marketable to. Yeah, that's what it came from my from his point of view and my, my his, his standpoint and mine as well. It was the wrong call on in every in so many ways, <laughs> on so many levels. It was a bad call. I don't, and nobody, nobody died from it or anything. It didn't hurt anybody, really. I hurt a few feelings for some time, but that's about it. 
I love these little missing corners. There's a story about Ain't Nobody, obviously. You got that one, but there's a story that Quincy wanted that from Michael. Is there any truth to that? I had no idea. They didn't tell me. Went, went too deep with that one. Okay. <laughs> I might have said no. <laughs> no, I doubt it. No. But I no, I had no idea that was. I can see Hawk Wolinski, David Walensky wrote the song. Okay. I can see David trying to get it to Michael first. Yeah, makes sense. He was a, he was his keyboard player. And then after he, he the band disbanded after that, he owned all the publishing on that. And so I guess he would yeah. Would have done him I think it would have gone further if Michael had picked it up than me, maybe. In a bigger song, I don't know, but pretty I can't well. imagine that either. It's doing, it's doing pretty well right now. <laughs> doing great. Now, one thing that's always interesting to me is that as your time in Rufus progressed, the record label and other people started billing it as featuring Chaka Khan, started billing you bigger and bigger. And you said that you didn't really necessarily want that. You were no, happy to be part of a group. I was having a great time. We were having a great time as a group. Everybody was getting along. Everything was fine, and I was enjoying it. It was fun. it was great. And it was just when they put my name out front, that's when all the the, the, the crap started, the trouble came because they started focusing on me. And actually I was, I didn't build that band, the original right. Rufus, I built it. They came from the American breed. They were, they were a band that had been around for a while. And I was thankful to be with a band like that, with a history. And it was awkward for me, very awkward. And yeah. Did you really see yourself staying in your mind at that time, did you would you have been perfectly happy to just spend your career in Rufus? Like you, you truly didn't want a solo career at, at that point, or how did you see it? I never saw. I never did see myself as a solo artist. And today, I don't see myself as a solo artist. I see it as a work that we all put together. My musical director is great. My band. Mm. I'm, I feel like I'm still on stage with the band. I work. I'm one of the band members. That's how I feel, and that's a good thing because that's what I am. Then everybody becomes a contributor in a special way. Because they're all special, and that's the way I would prefer Rufus to remain. As because things didn't get really funky until that happened. Wow! So you, there's a world in which you just stayed in Rufus the whole time. That would have been more than fine yeah, with for, you. For me, it would you know, and even foreseen it happening that maybe we would have in ten years or something like that. We would say, okay, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Like the guys, some of the guys quit the band when our first single didn't hit. People change. Instead of letting a, a natural, normal change happen to the band and its growth and progression, they bed that sucker up. So, <laughs> Why is your voice still so great when a lot of singers, a lot of old rock guys especially, they've blown their voices out? What, what's your secret there? It's really beyond my, myself. It's beyond me as well. I, it, it's a gift. I don't try to analyze it or figure it out. I just know there's a gift. I get a plenty of sleep. I've always been a, a real sleep bandit. I love to, to do nothing and sleep. I just to take care of my body so that the, the so the vessel and the instrument can do what it has to do. You understand? You it's, beyond, it's, beyond, it's beyond me. You said in your book there was a time when you had those nodules and you had to have them scraped off. And I, it, and I guess you, knowing what happened to Miles Davis, you wrote down the word... Yeah. Yep. You wrote down the words Miles Davis, and that reminded you to stay quiet during yeah. recovery. I put on my chalkboard. That's right. <laughs> and I, I put myself in underground for maybe six months. Wow. You know, I had to completely remain silent. I couldn't whisper or anything for a good two to three weeks. So I had to take an apartment downtown where nobody knew where I was. 
had a friend of mine and my mother and I had a Morse code going so she know how, but we could talk on the phone. Not really, at least say we're okay, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I had to go on the ground and that scared me. Did you change something about your technique after the nodules that prevented that from Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I stopped, you know, some of the drugs I was doing. I started, you know, paying more attention to that aspect of my body. Because it was just a, a, a lucky thing I had going, you know, for a long time. And I didn't really think about how precious it was, how precious this gift was. And I didn't decide really seeing it as a true gift until this, this happened. Had you thought of your voice as like a horn before Miles told you that? Was he the first person who yeah. told you that? No, no, he wasn't the first person. My dad okay. said that my voice reminded him of a, of a sax as well. Not a sax, not a trumpet. I, I, I had the sax thing going already. I was struck by the fact that, especially during the early Rufus years, they treated you like a little sister and were restrictive, mm-hmm. overprotective. You weren't allowed to have anyone in your room. What was that about? And, and why did you even put up with it? <laughs> I, I, you know, I thought, I, oh, I thought, like hell. Yeah, we had some physical, nice physical altercations too. Tony and I used to fight a lot wow. backstage. And when I and when I got married, it was really before I, just before I got married, I had my fiance come down to the studio, and he and I had wrote written a song together called "Better Days." Put it down, and a couple people, two three people in the band were really not feeling him, not feeling the whole thing. And that was the biggest fight we ever had down there. But yeah, they just saw me as like this little chick that needed protection. And yeah, they put all that insecurity onto me. I became the yeah the scapegoat for that shit. Whatever was going on, because I was I'm not I'm not a lady. I'm a woman, and I've got both boots on the ground. I always have. So I wasn't taking that shit laying down. But yeah, that's a very interesting distinction. Tell me the difference in your mind between being those two things. Lady. I, think more refined and less objective because you have to be in order to be considered a lady quote unquote mm-hmm. you have to be have certain shit going on about you that a woman would not even entertain and it's preferable in your mind to be a woman over a lady Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and i've always loved the image of when you had your time alone in the tour bus that you were blasting joni mitchell yes I, Zira, I think yeah yes i was a Zira. yes grandma the heavens it was the strings of my guitar that was my whenever i was feeling sad or really lonely or pissed off or whatever about anything the road is not easy on a bus with a bunch of guys so i had the back room so i'd lock that sucker and just blast and yeah usually with a bottle of wine just do joni and have the windows open wide open I've heard you cover Joni. I've heard your cover of Help Me. Help me, I think I'm falling in love too fast. Got me hoping for the I feel like you understand where she's coming from musically as well as better than anyone I've ever heard is just the jazzy vocal lines. You have your own jazz background and it feels like you get her on some profound level. I know you're friends and I know you're a big fan, but what is that commonality? Where is that coming well, from? My father, who's a photographer, once said, uh, we were all hanging out one night, Joni, my father and I, and he was taking pictures and he said, I'm taking pictures of you guys. But he said, he has own dark room and shit. And he was looking at the, at the what's the names, whatever it is. I forget what they're called. I just got out of photography too far. But he said that she and I are like the dark and the light on the negative, like the dark and light wow. on the negative. He said, it's interesting 
So when we take pictures, he takes the pictures, it's one way. And when I give the negatives, it's another way. But it's, 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 that's how he tallied it up. And, it's, and that worked for me. We are like two sides of one point. I think we're very similar. We've had similar life experiences. And we just mm. think the same. I think we just have a lot in common as human beings. We make good friends. I loved, I loved her in all her phases. And, and, and every one of her phases, I loved her. And I, I get it. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I know you were working on a, an album of covers of her songs, and I think that's been backburnered, but is that still something that you... It's still in the mix. I, I have, like, maybe about enough to put out a CD. Done. But there's a couple more, couple two, three songs I want to go back and revisit, definitely. Because I was in my friend's studio. She had this home studio. It was really nice. Well done. But I just couldn't get the musicians, all the musicians that I wanted, because we were really treating it like a home-style Hook up as opposed to we were going to release. We were having a great deal of fun doing it. So, yeah, I got to put some serious stuff to fix a few of the cuts. You said in your book that the first album you ever bought was by Led Zeppelin. Which Led Zeppelin album the was that? If you, the first the one. The first one, yeah. Yeah. A lot of love. Yeah. And uh, What Shall Never Be. Yes. <laughs> yes. I covered that. I have a cover of that as well. Mm-hmm. So you can hear Robert Plant and take something from that. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. That's obvious. But what did you hear in Zeppelin that you liked? John Bonham, number one, and Robert. And on the slower songs, with as much as you never beat the bass lines and the, just the, the, the whole, there was like, it was like looking, watching a movie to listen to that album. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I felt very visual and very real for me. I was just great artistry. Yeah, for me, a Zeppelin album is most visual if I'm uh, smoking weed, but... You can't be able to see, then you can really see. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I think it sounds like maybe Zeppelin 2 was the one you bought, because that's the one that has what, a whole lot of love and what is and should, what should never be. A whole lot of love was on the first album, correct? Second. Second? Oh, shit, yeah. maybe I tried the second one. <laughs> they came out real, real close to each other, so yeah. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. If you could give any advice to a young Shaka Khan, what would it be? Pull back and take stock. Pull back, take stock, can take more control. And what different choices would that have ideally led to in your mind? I'd have, I, I own a lot. I, I have a lot of, I own a lot of my music. I own a lot of music. But I would have owned twice that much had I been diligent and thought more about that. I was just in the moment, in the song, and that's it. And I thought that was enough, but it's really not the way to handle yourself and your stuff and your business in a, in a good way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That stuff that has to be learned either through family history or learn once you're thrust into a situation, which I which happened for me as well. Luckily, I you know I, I caught on in time to make something of my life on the other side of the coin I'm doing on my family side and as a family member. One of the titles you considered for your book, which would have been great, was To Hell and Back in a Limousine. Yeah. What for you, what was really the hell part? What really defined the hell part for you? Okay, riding on a bus, pissing on a bun in a little bathroom. Waking up in the morning and in your five hours from your hotel, you can take a proper bath or shower or whatever. 
and go to bed like a normal human being. And then you got a gig that night. Right. That's crazy. That's freaking insane. It was just insanity. It's like being a truck driver and a performer. Yeah. Not to mention being away from your family, being away from your kid. That, yeah. that made it all the harder, I think. That's absolutely true. It's lonely. It's all get out. You can't really make really defining or good friendships with people because most of the people that you meet is at a gig. And when you get home, you're done. You've been in enough clubs. You've been in enough uh, places where performances are going on. When I say I want to have, have, have a good time, it doesn't have anything to do with going out. Yeah. You said that you're done with relationships. You said something funny like your boyfriend's your TV. And, your... <laughs> and, and, I, and my bed is my husband. That's it. A man for me, I've done enough of that. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> been married twice. I'm all right. Did you have ever have mixed feelings about Whitney covering I'm Every Woman? Oh, no, Whitney, no, absolutely not. Because she did a stellar job. She did. She did a fucking stellar job. And what did I say? I was take out flowers. So I told her, I said, so what? Did you use my background vocals on that? I'm going to check it out. Go ahead. So we were very good friends. I miss her as much as I miss Prince. Yeah. God. Yeah. And you knew her family, too. God, she is. She was such an amazing human being. Such a funny as hell and smart. Talk it out. And a beautiful human being. That's it. Roll Me Through the Rushes is such an amazing song. I'm well prepared for my last journey. You know I've worked all my life. Maybe you don't remember recording that one either. Great song. I don't remember recording it, but I still appreciate it greatly. One of the songs I truly appreciate. And it's funny, I'd really never, maybe once or twice have I performed it on stage. That's too bad. Yeah. Now it's time to put a song like that back in. Yeah. I've, I've started um, adding lots of songs back in or into the show that I have never done before because I considered them at the time maybe too laid back or too whatever, which is stupid. But once you grow, as you grow and you... Your brain grows and you, <laughs> you learn a lot more about life and your purpose and the world and all that stuff. You take stock again. Just keep taking thoughts. You can stay relevant. It helps. And I think that's been a lot of relevant songs that need to come back to the floor. So I'm definitely right now, I'm on a, I'm looking at stuff. What's the, we ask people this in this comment, what's the most indulgent purchase you ever made if anything comes to mind? Once it comes to mind, really. I'm not really, I'm not, a, I'm not really a, that kind of person. Buy like to like cars and diamonds or whatever that bullshit and shit like that. I'm not. That's not me. Yeah, I, no. I think with you actually, it might be. What's the most expensive thing you ever gave away? <laughs> Sounds <you> like <laughs> there you go. That, that, uh, that makes more sense. I think cars have probably been the most expensive things I've given away. Really? Yeah, my my kids mostly. So if you have a car, but you say, "Hey, go oh. ahead, take it. It's yours." I gave my car to my son. Yeah, because I don't. I wasn't driving anymore in LA. I said, "You know what?" Since we're in L.A. right now, you keep this thing because I'm not driving this shit. For what? Tell me more about moving to Georgia. That just happened. What is that about for you? It means everything to me because I got a peace of mind. I have all this. I'm like, I'm looking for Bigfoot around here. I'm looking for Sasquatch because I got <laughs> surrounded by this forest and it's just beautiful. It is just, I, I got a lake right wow. here. Oh my God. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at a lake in a forest every day when I get up. I sit outside and breathe in pure oxygen 
I'm getting ready to plant this uh, summer. I'm getting ready to have a hot house situation and I'm collecting seeds now from some indigenous tribes around here to get the right seeds so I can grow the right plants for this area and do my, because I love planting. Uh, yeah, I'm going to grow my own vegetables and grow my own, a lot of my own herbs. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I plan to get a couple horses and I have plans to, to live life. Yeah. Real life. When you sit on your porch and look out at all that, does it finally feel like you're seeing the, the fruits of your labor, sort of? Yeah, I'm seeing some of the fruit, the beginning of the fruit, so that the, the offshoots, <laughs> you know, what's to come. Yes, absolutely. You got the Hall of Fame. You've got many honors. How much do you think about mm -hmm. legacy and being remembered and, and all that, or how you'll be remembered, or if your music will be played someday when you're gone? Do you, do you think about any of that? I, not really. I don't really care. I would hope that some of my shit has some longevity, but if it doesn't, that'll be because hopefully somebody better has come along. Mm. Somebody or to the way of the, the people will be thinking at that time. So maybe it'll mean be more meaningful to them. I just hope that the art form doesn't get so uh, with stupid shit that kids like today think that every instrument can be played on a keyboard. Mm. And it is, but not really and not truly. I think that an upsurgence of, instruments have to be introduced again once again to these kids i think that you know there's a small movement going but i think we need to work on that a little more and i much prefer to record in studios i think i'll do my next recordings if possible at princess studios because he's still he's still on the old analog and i love it i love some of the new technology too i, I have to be honest the through the wire thing I think I understand exactly what your issue is, which is that Kanye asked permission to use your song. Yeah, use your voice. But he, correct me if I'm wrong, he did not make it clear to you that he was going to speed it up. You approved it no. thinking that he was going to use your actual voice the way it sounds. No, and that was my fault too for feeling salty about that in any way because if i understood the rap game more completely like i do now then that wouldn't have been a big deal to me mm. you, you know what i'm saying it wouldn't be such so, a big deal so it doesn't bother you anymore is what you're saying no i'm done I'm, I'm please i'm not hanging on to any silly grudges i mean you talked about limited live dates what would it take to will there come a day when you're just saying goodbye to the stage altogether well, I might do that three or four times like other bitches do when they say other singers. <laughs> you know, I might give it a minute and see how I'm feeling and see how the quality of my stage performances go, how high up the quality I can take it and how little I have to do to make it happen or to do it in such a way that I, and I love it again. I see I grew out of love with a lot of stuff because of touring, the hardcore travel and shit. I fell out of love on a lot of aspects of the, the music I'm performing. So right now I'm just trying to define and refine my performances in a way so that every time I, I hit a stage, I'm going to be happy through it, happy to do it. It won't be like, oh, fuck, I got a gig tonight. Shit, I got three gigs this week. And that's because I'm thinking of travel. I'm thinking of rap. I'm thinking of promoters that are assholes. I'm thinking about happy shit. And there's a level that you can achieve in this business where... It can be smoother. And I've seen that now. And now that I know that there is a light. Yeah. I plan to do some definitely sometime next year. I will do a yeah, string of dates and probably ongoing something like this be ongoing because you can't hit this kind of market in, in five minutes. 
but where I will hit all of the philharmonic orchestras that I can hit possibly on the planet and do songs, do some do jazz, do some for my contemporary stuff, that has strings and horns and shit and do like that. I enjoy that immensely. I love working with philharmonic orchestras. Love that. I can do to serve with love. I can do I'm Every Woman. I can do shit. Can do <laughs> Is that all there is? I can do everything with those strings. I asked you what what you would say to a younger Shaka Khan. On the flip side, what do you think a young Shaka Khan would say to you if she saw where you are now here at this point in your life? I'd say, really? Yeah. In which, in what sense? I never, ever once thought that I'd be as well known as I am today. Let's get that straight. Because that happened totally without my having to do anything with it. <laughs> Just my songs. But I've sung them anyway. There was no, I didn't have like great people doing my, yeah, doing my stuff out there and putting me in a, in a big way out into the world, presenting me in a big way into the world. I had to work hard. I worked really hard. And I was never thinking about my popularity with people. Mm. But it, only when I slowed down and I stopped and people, I get, got a chance to, I got a chance to look around me and see and listen to what people were saying to me to meet me and take a picture with me. I started listening to them. And then I started listening to what's going on around me when I slowed down enough. And I, I'm still amazed at how loved I am in this mm. industry. There's interviews from a few years ago where I see justifiably, you seem a little more, I don't know, aggrieved or a little bit more frustrated with yeah. the state mm -hmm. of things. What I hear from you now is a lot more peace, I think. I wonder yes, what I, changed. I, I, I found a piece of my piece right here in Georgia. I'm sitting in my bedroom looking at the trees across the way. And that's what you're hearing now. Is it just the geographical shift or is it something deeper? Well, the geographical has a great deal to do with it. For me, I'm very, I depend on that. I set up my hotel room in a way so I, I feel safe and I feel that it's clean spiritually. And I feel that the things around me are, are good and are okay. You know what I'm saying? I take great care. I take my own candles. I take my incense. I take my, my, my sage. I take my, all my oils and my holy water and all that shit. And I make sure that everything's cool. My crucifixes, my, my stones. I take my stuff with me and I make sure everything is calm and good around me in a hotel room, which is very hard to, to make happen sometimes because people go to hotels to do things they won't do at home. There's a lot of cleaning up to do. And yeah, and I loved when we did travel on the buses, I fell in love with landscapes and the different things that I was seeing. Like early in the morning before everybody was awake and we were going to some place in Montana or something or some crazy person like what, like the devils. You know that big thing that they had in the movie Silver's film where what's his name kept trying to make this power? Oh yeah, Close Encounters, yeah. yeah Close Encounters, yeah. I saw that. I saw it. When I went, there's a national park up there and we drove through that and it was really early in the morning. And when this hit a bump, I woke up and I looked out the window and I thought it was daytime and I saw this thing. I said, and I was like, I'm never impressed. He goes, I'm very impressed with natural, the natural wonders of this earth, this planet. Yeah, I, it just means a lot to me. I, and so I've, I started gravitating toward that aspect of myself, my love of nature, very slowly creeping towards that way and uh, making things happen. I'll let you get on with your day, but I'm, I'm so glad we caught up. Oh, Brian, it's really good to be talking to you too. And we can catch up again soon. That sounds great. And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.